Welcome everybody to another episode of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. I believe episode number 17 of the podcast. Quinn Douglas here as always, joined by my co-host as always, Carter Coppinger, Zach Martin. Guys, how we doing here today? Well, this podcast would have been a lot more exciting if uh, Iowa had gotten the job done on Black Friday because we'd be talking about a Big Ten championship preview and we are not. But... Still doing well, trying to stay warm, and hey, it's it's World Cup season, anyways, right? <laughs> World Cup season. Is this is this going to be the depressing episode of the podcast? Is this going to be the most depressing episode? Is, is uh, have we have we hit depression season for Iowa for Iowa football? I don't know. That's a good question. The the one post Ohio State was pretty depressing too. So yeah, I don't... that was that was bad. That was that wasn't fun. That's fair. I don't know. That's fair. Boys, I'll yeah, say this, after, after watching Michigan, or I didn't watch Michigan, but after I was at the I went to the Grandview game on Saturday, but after seeing what Michigan did to Ohio State, I'm not so sure it's not a good thing we're not going to Indy. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is World Cup season. That's that's the, season. that's what that's what matters. And USA bring on the Dutch on Saturday. Bring on yeah. the Netherlands, baby. Bring them on. Bring him on, bring in Christian Pulisic. Hopefully, we have we have we have him uh, fully healthy. Yeah, you know, and in, in America, every free kick's a, a free kick. <laughs> every kick's a free kick. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Every kick is a free kick, even the free kicks. <sighs> yep, that's great. <laughs> oh that's my gosh! Awesome. Yeah, that was that was fun watching in the office. Watching in the office yesterday, I was watching on my computer. And when Pulisic scored that goal, our news guy. So at our station, where, where our production studios, it, it, there's a window, so you can look out into the main area, under the main lobby where, where I, I usually sit, where I'm usually set up at. And I put my hand up like this, right as my news guy is like looking over while he's recording our five o'clock news. He's like, "What are you?" He's looking at giving me a look. I'm like, "Oh, I'm like, I just point. I'm like, we just scored." <laughs> Yeah, me. I was watching. I was watching in the. Uh, I was watching the office, and I, me and uh, me and my regional sports editor Jim Nelson cheered so hard we scared a couple of our advertising reps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was it was it was a nerve wracking game. There's no way soccer oh, should be God. that nerve wracking. That that I thought Iran. Excuse me, Iran. Excuse me. I don't want. That. Oh, whoa! Hey, come on, Quinn! Come on! Come on! I'm not trying to get this podcast. I don't want. I don't, want, I don't want that state media stooge coming after me. Uh, but the, uh, the I thought Iran was going to get that penalty kick in the 99th minute. And oh, I don't know what I would have done. I might have. Th- I may have thrown my laptop. I may have thrown my computer if they would have given him that penalty kick. I'm really glad that didn't happen. So that way, the podcast can continue, and also the podcast. <laughs> well, that would have been my work computer, not my not my not my PC. I, right, I have enough. a work computer, you know, the whole shebang. Oh, so yeah, those, so you're those still exist in 2022. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Those do still exist. As well, I suppose, you know, I, I suppose we'll get the depressing part out of the way first. So we can hopefully go up from here, but we'll open up obviously with Iowa on Black Friday, having a chance to win the Big Ten West against Nebraska. Nebraska three and nine on the year. Um, they have they had to, you know, put up a good fight a lot of the year against a lot of teams, but ultimately just found ways to lose those games. Well, Friday, the 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 they didn't find a way to lose this one. Uh, and they were aided by some some fortunate breaks for them. Uh, obviously, I think 
I think the the, the, the moment that turned the game on its head was Cooper DeGene getting knocked out. I thought it was a clean hit. thought it was a good clean hit that just happened to knock Cooper out. Uh, just one of those unfortunate happenstances in the games. And that obviously changed, turned the tide of the game with an Iowa losing Spencer Petras to uh, a, a what we're told is a shoulder injury, at least from what we understand. Uh, that also uh, really put Iowa behind the eight ball. Got to give credit where credit's due. Iowa did not give up in Nebraska. Well, they about blew it again. But uh, just th- this time, Iowa just did not have what it took to uh, come back against the Huskers as they fall 24-17. They lose the Big Ten West title to Purdue, who beat Indiana on Saturday. So it will be the Boilermakers who are going to the Big Ten title game to take on Michigan, which, judging by Saturday's result, might just be a sacrificial lamb in Michigan's goal to get to the college football playoff. Uh, We'll have to wait and see how it unfolds on Saturday night. But uh, Carter, I know you and I were at the game together. I know you actually in the second half went over and sat by your parents. And actually, that wound up, you know, being kind of a superstition type of deal where I, I stay where I was, where, where we were nor- originally, and I was started coming back. So I was one of those, I can't leave. We're, 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 you said we can't leave. I'm like, I get it. I'm not leaving my spot either. Yeah. Yeah. We, me and me and my cousin Cole and my brother, we just went over to go say hi to my family in their seats, you know, and then. All of a sudden, next thing you know, we're coming back and we're like, I text you. I'm like, dude, I don't think I can leave this spot. We're, and I was like, no, don't. I'm like, don't. I understand the superstition. Yeah. And I mean, but yeah, the, the game started off just absolutely brutal. I mean, when and Casey Thompson for Nebraska played a really good game, too. And once the gene went down, they were targeting the young corners. I mean, immediately they throw an 87 yard touchdown pass um and then follow that up on i believe the next drive with a 17 yard touchdown pass again targeting you know that same side Mm -hmm. and i i mean you know people can say what what ifs if cooper DeGene, you know is is not injured you know maybe it's a different result but i mean i would just they didn't play well in the first half and i didn't even feel comfortable when once Petrus was injured that Iowa could even come back whatsoever. And I, I was actually impressed with the way that Alex Padilla, you know, played in the second half. Um, it wasn't perfect by any means, but I mean, he did him and the, the Hawkeye defense at least gave themselves a chance. I do wish that the Hawks would have run the, tried running the ball more in the fourth quarter. I feel like we were almost relying too much on the pass um, just because Caleb Johnson was doing a dang good job. I mean, he had 16 rushes for, I believe, 100, yeah, 109 yards and a touchdown. I mean, it's unfortunate, but just just one of those games where we didn't think that there was any way that they lost, they could lose, and they lost. I mean, yeah, we were all talking about last week how we thought that I was going to take care of business against a Nebraska team that had nothing to play for except pride um, and trying to and trying to win the Heroes Trophy. And I think I think now everyone realizes that Cooper DeGene is probably the defensive is could be categorized as the secondary defensive MVP because obviously the defensive MVP for Iowa is Jack Campbell. But when you look at that back four, I think DeGene arguably was the most important piece to that unit because as soon as he was gone, Trey Palmer was just eating eating that secondary alive, and there was really nothing that Iowa could have done um, to fix that. 
and you can't go down 24 to nothing against a team like that and, um, you know, expect to try and win, even though it is Nebraska. Nebraska can make, you know, that type of lead evaporate (laughs) in the second half because it's more than capable of doing that. I just, I, I think it was just, it was, it was just too big of a hole to, to dig, to dig out of. And I, I agree. I don't know why Iowa kind of went away from what it has done and what it has done successfully this year was running the ball with Caleb Johnson. And I think they put too much on, on, um, on Alex, on Alex's shoulders. And, and this is, and this is what I noticed with Alex, with, with Alex a lot during that game. He wasn't running north south when he got out of the pocket. He was running east west and trying to make something happen. When he he easily could have taken taken a, a QB taken those out of pocket um, scrambles for like you know a five six yard gain. So I I don't know what there I don't know what the reason why he wouldn't run more, but I think that would have I think that would have helped um, that would have helped Iowa even have a chance at coming back. Um, but you, but you, you got to give credit to the fight. I mean, that's, that's something that Ferentz mentioned afterwards that the guys fought and Iowa will always fight no matter what the deficit is. It it just feels like a, a sour end to a kind of a weird season for Iowa. When you, when I, I don't think anyone would have expected seven and five and two of the losses were to Iowa state and Nebraska. And there's no one that would have thought that. So it's just, it, it, it was a weird season. It was, and it was still a season where Iowa could have been, could be an indie right now, had it not been for season long things that they've been able to get out of. They all happened at, they all happened at once in, in one game. And it was, it was the most crucial game of the season for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's perfect way to say that there were the two losses, you know, if you would have said that they, you know, beat Wisconsin, beat Minnesota, um, you know, and Purdue. And Purdue, like, there's no way, like, you wouldn't expect that two of their losses then would be Nebraska and Iowa State, you know, that, you know, looking at it, both teams went four and eight. Um, but yeah, that it was a weird season. And I think even part of what played a role in the loss on uh, Friday was that they didn't have a special team score or a defensive score. I mean, that usually helps their case. Yeah, Nebraska avoided mistakes. Yeah. Which, when's the last time we saw a Nebraska team do that? Hey, if Scott Frost was coaching, they would have lost. Oh, I guarantee you. 100%. 100% Nebraska finds a way way to lose that game. Yeah, 1,000%. Yeah, you got to give credit to Mickey Joseph. He had his guys ready to play, and uh, I – for you know, Nebraska obviously since since that game, they they've obviously announced Matt Rule will be the new head coach in Nebraska, which I think is a slam dunk hire for the Huskers. I think that's the best hire they've had for a head coach since they hired Frank Solich to take over Tom Osborne uh, back in the late '90s. Because you bring a guy that knows how to build a program like Matt Rule, uh, and Mickey Joseph is a guy you know the players love him. The players have, have responded to him, I think, in a very positive manner. And that's a guy I think if you're Matt Rule, you try like heck to keep him around. And I don't know, I don't know if he's announced if he's staying on staff or not. But if I'm a Nebraska fan, I'm really, really hoping that Mickey Joseph stays on the staff with Matt Rule coming to town. So, and I'll pose this question to both of you, and I'll answer it as well. With the with the landscape of the Big Ten changing 
here pretty drastically with Matt Rule coming into coming to Nebraska, Luke Fickle being hired by Wisconsin, which was that's a that's a slam dunk hire in itself because I, out of all the jobs I thought Luke, Luke Fickle was going to leave Cincy for, I did not think it was going to be Wisconsin that was going to be the job that he he departed for. So that that's a that's a slam dunk hire. You you've got Michigan and Ohio State, USC and UCLA are going to be coming. Um, Illinois seems to be turning the corner um, be, because because um, blank I was saying Brett Bielema has got that has got has done a really good job recruiting and building and building Illinois. Purdue will always be there under Jeff Brome. Northwestern is weird because Pat Fitzgerald can have one really good year that makes Northwestern really good. So like if you were to identify three to five things that Iowa really needs to do over the next over the over this offseason and in the future to stay afloat in the Big Ten, what are they? I'll take the bait on this one first. Number one, I think you have to find a way where you can marry Kirk Ferentz's philosophy, offensive philosophy. We know what, what Kirk wants to do offensively. He wants to control the control the clock uh, and, and put together long drives and uh, pretty much just beat people up physically up front, and that's how he wants to win football games. You have to find a way, I think, to to find a, find a perfect marriage between that and using it in a modern. You don't even have to say spread offense. I won't even I won't even say spread. You know, just use multiple, you know, use more shotgun formations, pistol formations, you know, make it, make it very much more like a pro, like a modern pro style offense. I'm not talking about pro style offense from 10 years ago. The pro style offense from 10 years ago is very different from pro style offense today. Look at what, you know, the Rams are doing. Look at what the 49ers are doing. I know I brought up before Brian Ferentz has taken inspirations from both McVay and Shanahan. Now I think you have to go the full tilt where not only are you taking little bits of inspiration, you need to take chunks big chunks of what they do offensively and, and take a good long look and see if that works for your team. You know, a lot more shotgun stuff, a lot more uh, pistol sets, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more of getting receivers, wide receivers into the passing game. You know, obviously, you know, and I think San Francisco most years has done a good job under Kyle Shanahan uh, uh marrying uh, a balanced use of, of the tight end in the offense and then the wide receivers when obviously you've got like George Kittle. You can do that pretty easily, but with the, with the tight end talent Iowa gets, I think it's absolutely feasible, uh, and I really do think that that is what Iowa needs to find a, a marriage like what Michigan is doing. You know, I I, I I really like what Michigan's doing, albeit that's a little bit tougher because Michigan's a, a school that's consistently pulling in five stars. Uh, but you know, if if you think that is not that realistic an expectation, to me, look at what Michigan's doing because of the 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 higher level of talent Michigan's pulling in. Look at what Utah's doing out in the Pac-12. What Kyle Whittingham is doing, I think, is a perfect marriage, an even better marriage, I'd say, than Michigan, of you know the the old school zone blocking schemes, power football, wanting to control the clock. At the same time, having an offense that if you need to go both blow for blow with a team like a Michigan or an Ohio State or what Wisconsin or Nebraska could be under Luke Fickle and Matt Rule. Utah's got that. Utah has the ability to do that. They went blow for blow. They beat USC. They beat the USC team that right now, the season end of the day, they're in the college football playoff. They went blow for blow for USC. But Utah can just as easily, they can play a defensive grudge match. They, they, they have, they, Kyle Winningham has found ways to adapt. I think it's time Kirk Ferentz has found, uh, you know, Kirk Ferentz has done a really good job. I don't want to say Kirk Ferentz hasn't adapted. Kirk has adapted a lot more than I think a lot of people give him credit for. 2015 is a, is a really good example of that, in my opinion. But 
you know, that the number one thing is Kirk needs to find the, the perfect marriage of his old school philosophies with new school, uh, with a new school approach to how they look on the football field. I think that's number one. Number two, obviously you have to attack the transfer portal this off season. And I know there is all kinds of smoke and probably fire with Cade McNamara going to Iowa. I feel very, very good with, with, with what I have been told about the, the situation. I feel very good about where Iowa sits with Cade McNamara. I know Carter has heard similar stuff uh, on, on that as well. I, 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 I feel very way. good where, about where Iowa sits uh, when it comes to Cade McNamara. I don't think anything's a done deal yet, but I feel very, very good with where Iowa sits with Cade McNamara right now. Uh, and I think a big question will be, too, if, if Iowa does land McNamara, who is he going to bring anybody with him? Can he recruit somebody to come play with him? Uh, I think that's a big question uh, in that regard. If he can get, you know, if, if McNamara can recruit, you know, a couple uh, of guys on the outside, because Iowa needs wide receiver transfers. Uh, I really do think if McNamara can get a couple of guys to transfer in as wide receivers, it doesn't have to be from Michigan. You know, in the modern day of college football, everybody knows everybody, it feels like, especially within a conference. You know, if Iowa can get a couple of transfers in the wide receiver room, bring in a Cade McNamara, and then, find, you know, if the offensive line can progress, like I think it, they will progress this offseason, because I'm not ready to write off George Barnett quite yet. I know a lot of people are, but I'm not ready to write off George Barnett quite yet. Um I really feel good about what the Iowa offense can do, especially against a schedule next year that is going to be a lot easier than the schedule was this fall. Uh, and, and number three, I think, you know, if Brian Ferentz is going to move on and, you know, for, from the rumors, you know, that have been kind of floating around in the wild, maybe going back to the NFL and being becoming in a position, going back to being an offensive line coach in the NFL or a position coach. Uh, I think you have to identify an offensive coordinator that is willing to work under Kirk Ferentz, but has to be a little more headstrong about, hey, this is what we need to do offensively. You know, I am in, you know, he, you know, obviously I want him to have the same principles as, you know, I want to control the clock. I want to be able to run the football. I want our offensive line to beat people up. But this is what we have to do to be successful in, in the modern college game. You know, wanting, I don't think, I don't think it's feasible to want Iowa to hire someone that wants to run the RPL. No, I, I don't think, that's feasible, and I don't think Iowa needs to do that. I, I I disagree on that notion. But Iowa needs to find a way. You know, you know, look at you know maybe Sharon Moore at Michigan. He's a co-offensive coordinator. Michigan's got co-OCs right now. Throw some money at him. Maybe throw a million a year at him. And say, what do you think? You know, see, gauge some interest. Uh, I throw money at Utah's offensive coordinator. Uh, I know he's the next hot guy, uh, and I, I and see if he's interested in coming back to Iowa City. Um, you just have to find someone that is willing to, and maybe maybe go to the NFL, maybe find a position guy in the NFL that maybe works plays for the you know works for the 49ers or the Rams or or maybe even the Patriots. You look for a Patriots guy or someone or someone of that of that pedigree, someone that falls under that that pedigree of uh, the, what Kirk Ferentz wants to do in terms of pro style offense in a modern sense. Yeah, and Quinn, I would agree with literally all, all your points there. So I'm not going to like necessarily repeat them, but I do think just want like a few to add are that we need to be able to develop quarterbacks. Mm. Um, I mean, right now it seems like a quarterback really doesn't improve in the Iowa system that much from, you know, their first few starts to their final games. I mean, I, I was really hoping to see a lot more improvement from Spencer Petrus than um, we necessarily saw this year. 
um, just from what we had heard, you know, with the off season and everything. And I'm not sure that Iowa necessarily has the, the, the coaching staff potentially that is developing these quarterbacks the way that, you know, is necessarily needed for success in the big 10. And I think, you know, making that a priority is key. And then also developing wide receivers as well, because I, I, I think on the same front there, we didn't really see a whole lot of development from the wide receivers from last year to this year. Um, And, and I think those are two things that are really holding back their offense. I mean, you can talk about play calling as much as you want, um, but I mean, when you don't have necessarily the development in the program at those positions, the execution is not going to be there regardless of what play is called. And that's why I think attacking the transfer portal, like you said, is going to be really important for Iowa this offseason and especially at those two positions. I mean, the, and, and from what and from what, you know, we've been hearing on, you know, from from multiple areas, I mean, it sounds like Iowa is at least approaching, you know, the quarterback situation and wide receiver situation. So that that's at least positive in my mind, but embracing it is something they're going to have to do to find success in what's going to be a changing big 10 landscape. But I also think that, you know, they don't want to stray too far away from what has brought them success. Mm -hmm. Um, And And that's the, that's the, the line they have to, they have to tell. Exactly. You, you have to, you know, make change, make the necessary changes that, you know, that we can see. I mean, there's, there's obviously issues and they need to be solved, but, you know, we're, we're not asking for a complete overhaul of, you know, the Kirk Ferentz philosophy, because I mean, he, he's proven he's won games and he has proven it works. It just needs to, you know, have some minor adjustments to, you know, really fit today's modern college football landscape. And I, I think if they do make those changes that it's going to be tough to compete, you know, in the Big Ten, but I, I think it's really possible. I mean, he's one of the m- most winningest coaches in the Big Ten. He knows what he's doing. And I, I think that him being there so long also helps his case in, you know, helping in in, in recruiting as well for the program. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> There, there are two things that I'm going to add to what you guys said, because I agree with all of them. There's two things. One, they Iowa has to keep recruiting at the level it has been over the last two years. Agreed. It cannot have a it cannot have a recruiting drop off, whether that's, you know, high school kids. And it and it has to be increased in the transfer portal, like we've mentioned, but they, they have to keep recruiting at the level they are to compete with with the new Big Ten coming up. And I think the second thing is you have to get a coach in waiting. And I think you, I think you have to name LeVar Woods as the coach in waiting, because if I was going to, if I was going to be, you know, competing with these, with these upper echelon teams in the new big 10, you need someone that is one energetic, two more modern and three lives and breathes Iowa football. And that, and that person is without a doubt, in my opinion, LeVar Woods. I think he has to be named the coach in waiting within the next two years to keep the to keep the excitement and keep the keep the energy high around Iowa football, or it because it because here's the thing we don't know what the we don't know what the Big Ten is going to look like once 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 UCLA and, and USC come on. Um, 2023 could be Iowa's last chance at getting to Indy under the current construction. So I think in order to keep energy 
in order to keep everything positive about Iowa football in the future, I think LeVar Woods needs to be named the coach in waiting in the next two years, whenever, whenever Kirk decides to hang it up. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point because I, I, the one problem I do see with that is I, I don't think Kirk's going anywhere, you know, within the next two or three years. I, I think he's firmly entrenched for at least the next five years, if not maybe a little bit longer. Um, I know he's not going to coach till he drops. He's not going to do that. He's not going to pull a bear. Brian, he retires and he drops. That's not, I, I doubt Kirk does that. Kirk will exit stage right before that happens. But um, I don't know if I'm a fan of it being public, but if it wants to be kind of a silent deal, I'm okay with that. Cause yeah. Naming a coach and waiting can be, can be a messy business. I mean, it's a messy business at the high school level, let alone at, at, at the collegiate level. Uh, we've seen it here in the state of Iowa, at the high school level, I, I, I say not go very well. Um, uh, and I know Bill Schneider tried that forever to get his Sunday coach and waiting at Kansas State. It didn't work. And you know what? K-State was better off for it as far as I'm concerned. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but these, but uh, LeVar Woods is absolutely a guy I would love to have take over the Iowa program once Kirk is done. Uh, but, you know, it, it matters if he, he can fill that. Because being a head coach now – is like being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Now, I think LeVar has the ability to be that kind of a guy, to be that guy that reaches out to all areas. I mean, I, you know, just look at his background. He's an Africa, He was an African-American kid from Inwood, Iowa. I mean, you want to talk about reaching, you know, coming from a, from a just a, a very diverse background, you know, about him personally, about where he comes from, and being able to relate to kids. I think he, he's definitely a guy that could be uh, really, could do a really good job uh, of doing that. But obviously, we we'd have to wait and see if that would be the case. Obviously, uh, I I I just think that he's 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 the one coach where you can't you can't afford to lose, right now. Yeah, and, and in the future. So that's why I think like a, a if it's not public, a secret deal of like coach and waiting. Whenever Kirk decides, that's who it should be because he I think he's just the one coach you can't afford you can't afford to lose. And I was yeah, there there was a lot of people that were afraid Brian was going to be as far as far as I know. Throughout Brian's tenure, Brian has never had any interest in being a head coach. As a matter of fact, in today's college football, there's a lot of people that would rather be a coordinator rather than a head coach because the head coach, you got to be politically correct. Being a coordinator, it's all about football. So, at least at the collegiate level. So, um, yeah, Iowa, we, we will have to wait and see what their bowl destination is. I, I, from what I've seen, what I've heard, it's either going to be the Penn Stripe or the Music City Bowl. I know a lot of people are probably going to be rushing for the uh, Music City Bowl. Don't think you want to make don't think you want to make the trip up to New York in December, and play at Yankee Stadium uh, because I'd love to play Yankee Stadium, but not in the month of December. Well, the late, the latest projection I saw for the Pinstripe Bowl was Minnesota Syracuse, which I think makes sense because I don't think you can put you can't put Minnesota ahead on a bowl designation ahead of Illinois or Iowa. So I think yeah. I think Music I think Music City is probably going to be the destination for Iowa, which I know. Fans, media, and players are going to much prefer over the. Oh yeah, type. no, I'd love to go to you know if I if I wasn't filling in as a news guy that week for, uh, for for here in Webster City, I would almost consider maybe going to that bowl game. Uh, only only nine hour drive or ten hour drive, I suppose from Central. Yeah, it's it, it's within driving distance. Oh yeah, which will also oh, which will also so, help. Yeah, so John Leo and I, we were gonna go. We were driving now. We were gonna go cover the bowl game down there. That was supposed to happen in 2020 when I was supposed to play Mizzou. And we got we got all the way to got got to the home of Mark Twain, Hannibal, Missouri, before we found out the game got canceled. So <laughs> I said, "Hey, if there's a positive, at least we weren't, you know, in Paducah, Kentucky, when we found out, because right. then we'd really be in trouble. <laughs> then we'd really be in trouble." But 
Yeah, Nashville is a much more preferable uh, landing spot for a bull. Although, to be completely honest, I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, like it, it would affect me going. Like maybe I would go if it's in Nashville compared to the pinstripe, but I'm not all that amped for uh, bull season this year as compared to previously. I mean, I, I am interested to see, you know, um, if we do have a different quarterback playing during that game, you know, what what they may look like. And, I mean, obviously I'm going to watch the game and be really into it, but I, I think there there's less incentive, at least for myself, just after kind of the, the turd that we laid against uh, Nebraska this weekend to really want to, you know, be, be excited about um, bowl season. <laughs> Understandable. I say that's understandable. The other in-state team. Now, yeah, now, yeah, now the now, now the other in-state team. I guess so. I will say the one last thing. I think the pin, the Music City Bowl this year is on New Year's Eve. So if there is a positive, we can watch uh, Iowa. We're getting ready to party for New Year's Eve. So how about? I think I think that's a nice trade-off. Okay. I, I think I'd have to I'd have to double check, but I think I read somewhere that the Music City Bowl is on New Year's Eve. But like Zach said, the other. Uh, turd that got dropped in state uh i guess they were in texas on saturday but uh yeah iowa state Ooh, wow um tcu obviously i think played like they realized we're not getting left out of the playoff this time around on like 2014 at the same time you know i, I don't want to make damning indictments or anything but uh iowa state looked like they just didn't have any fight left in them they looked like they gave up that was the first time I've seen a Matt Campbell team look like they have given up. Which was, you know, which is obviously very disappointing in a number of ways. Yeah, uh, that was probably the, uh, that was the second game uh, for both Iowa and Iowa State that I did not watch the whole game through. The first one of the season was Iowa, Ohio State. Um, I turned that off in about the third quarter and I did the same thing with this game as well. Um, it, it was just, I mean, Iowa state gave up like 17 points and what was it? The first seven minutes. Um, and I mean, immediately after that, I was just like, wow, this, I mean, it's essentially game over. And again, their special teams looked very poor. Um, which is something that, I mean, I, I think Matt Campbell has to address over this off season. And then, I mean, it, it's pretty clear too, that the offense, um, Hunter Deckers should not be, you know, the, the starting quarterback named at least the starting quarterback going into next season. And I know we talked about this last week, but I mean, I think, they really need to have a open quarterback competition this off season and maybe even look to the transfer portal as well. I mean, Rocco Beck looked okay, but I, I, I don't really have a whole lot of um, like a body of work to go off of other than this performance. And, you know, when TCU was already up by um, nearly 30, um, but it it was disappointing because I think we all thought that Iowa state would at least, you know, at least show some heart and keep it close. Um, I know, you know, talking about the game previewing it last week, we all thought that Iowa state's probably not going to win, but they're going to give them a fight because, 
you know, typically with Matt Campbell coach teams, that's what happens. And uh, that just wasn't the case um, on Saturday. And there's, there's a lot of things that I think Iowa state as well has to focus on this off season. Special teams hiring someone needs to be at the top of the list. I mean, it's, I I'm tired of this revolving door of special teams problems and aims. It's, it's just getting to the point where it's, it's laughable at this point. I mean, it, and you just expect their special teams to be bad. Like it needs that, that needs to be top priority on Matt Campbell's list. And second is to cut ties with Tom Manning, but even though they're best friends, they have been with each other through a lot. Like Campbell trusts has a, has a good working and, and personal relationship with Tom Manning but that doesn't win you football games and that doesn't get you that doesn't get you more than clearly this year more than one win in the Big 12. So Tom Manny needs to he Tom, Campbell needs to cut ties with with Tom Manning. And then yeah, I've been it, I feel like a broken record because I've said this for I think the I think since I started coming on to this podcast full time but there needs to be an open quarterback competition next year. Carter you're you're right and I've been and I've been saying it for whoever knows how long, um, but it can't be safe for hundred Deckers. You, you either have to find one in the portal or you have it between Deckers, Ashton Cook and JJ Cole, um, the incoming freshman from Ankeny high school. Um, it's gotta be between either those three or Deckers and a transfer portal quarterback. And you likely will lose Rocco and maybe cook to the portal and Cole comes in as your third string in red shirts. So I, I that though it it's it's one of two it's the, those are the two scenarios I think you have to go with but um, Hunter Decker should not be the unquestioned starter for 2023 and I think the other thing Iowa State has to do is figure out how to go back to what made them successful mm-hmm. during the during the during the you know the runs of the Purdy Kolar Hall era mm-hmm. what what did they do well. They, they played kind of Iowa football. They managed the clock. They were physical up front. They relied on the run game. And when you needed your quarterback to throw a pass to a tight end, hey, guess what? He completed. Or when you needed your quarterback to throw to a, a skillful wide receiver, it, w- it, was, it was trusted that he would, he, it, he would bring it down. So I think Iowa State needs to kind of get back to that. And, and, in, a, and in a changing Big 12 as well, I mean – Let's let's not scoff at the fact that the Big Twelve is you know could be getting you know a little bit better next year as well when you when you look at the four teams that are going to be coming in. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though since he lost Luke Fick, Luke Fickle, since he has proven to be one of a you know one of the really good teams in college football, BYU can put together can put together one or two really good years that makes you go wow. And um, and the other two that I'm blanking on who's who's joining um, in uh, Houston. Yes, and UCF can put together. You know, they've they've got their own national championship that they crowned themselves. So I mean, there's that coming in, and then Houston can put together can has shown the capability to have really good, uh, you know, really good football seasons too. So let's not scoff at the Big Twelve and and thinking that you know Iowa State can can somehow get a find a way back to Texas or you know to an upper half of the Big Twelve. They they kind of go they've they've got to go back to what made them successful during the Purdy Hall and, 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 you know, the Purdy, the Purdy Hall, Charlie Kolar era and, and, you know, go back to that in order to, to, to have the success that they, that they had. 
Yeah, and you know, I I only got to watch a, a little bit of the Iowa State game because uh, obviously, like I said, Saturday I was at the Grandview uh, game against Lindsey Wilson down at the NAIA quarterfinals, which was a good defensive battle. Ten seven, Grandview did get the win, but we watched a lot. We, I watched most of the game when I was we had we had a late lunch at the the chicken coop over in Urbandale, and uh, just you know watching Iowa State. It was you know I was sitting across one of my best friends is a big Cyclone fan, and he just he he just kept shaking his head. He goes, "How?" Could it, how could it have gotten to this point? Um, I, I know you mentioned Tom Manning getting fired or needing to cut ties with Tom Manning, Zach. From from what I've heard, I don't know if that's going to be the case. Never, I, I will say it sounds like obviously it's going to be in the market for a new offensive line coach. I, I would probably bet the farm that happens. I think that really does need to happen, number one. Number two, I think Iowa City is going to go into the porter after a quarterback. I think it needs to happen. Um, I look at a guy like uh, like Brett Gabbert at, at Miami of Ohio, younger brother, former Missouri quarterback, Blaine Gabbert. He's done some really good things in Miami, and, and something tells me he would be a really, really good fit in uh, that Iowa State offense. I could really see him succeeding if he was able to, to, to win the starting job over Hunter Deckers as a starting quarterback. So I, I think I think both Iowa and Iowa State are very much they, – they need to be in the market for a quarterback in, in, in the portal this year. Uh, I, I, Iowa State is imperative. Iowa State is, I guess, an interrogative question, I suppose. But Iowa is imperative. Iowa State, you probably can make the the, the 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 argument that it is imperative that they need to find a quarterback in the portal as well. But uh, yeah, I think if, if Iowa State, I feel like Iowa State getting a quarterback and then getting a, a new offensive line coach, I think that could really fix solve a lot of problems uh, that Iowa State has. I will say one one bit of irony. I saw the the finalists for the. Uh, Royals award were, were announced. So one of the finalists was uh, Alex Golish, uh, the offensive coordinator and tight ends coach at Tennessee. Uh, Alex Golish recruited, Carter, you'll know him, and he's actually a former guest on the podcast. Alex Golish recruited our friend Michael Sandy to Iowa State uh, when he was at Iowa State uh, in the early years under Matt Campbell. I thought that was just a stroke of some some not great irony for Iowa State fans to see Golish uh, among the uh, Royals award finalists. Yeah, well, that's what happens when uh, you reserve the spot for Tom Manning to be the offensive <laughs> coordinator. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Uh, that's that is unfortunate how things timed out there, but I mean that's that's the way it goes. But I I do think that Iowa State does have some good talent returning, especially in the running back room, um, which is a positive. And I mean, I, I think Jalen Noel also is, you know, one of those guys next year who, if you get him a good quarterback, you could have a really good season as well. Um, I am curious if any other running backs will enter the portal. I know uh, Deion Silas already did. And I mean that there's a lot of question marks on like who the number one running back is going to be going into the next season. It's crazy because, Early in the season, we all thought Jirel Brock was, you know, going to be the man. And then as the season went on, I don't even think he had to carry this uh, past game. And he, I mean, only had like four carries in the week before. So it it's interesting just to see how that, that has played out throughout the year. And I'm hoping, hoping that Iowa State is able to keep, you know, Norton and, uh, Oh, who am I thinking of? Uh, Norton and uh, Elijah Sanders. And they'll have they'll have um, Southeast Polk's um, um, 
what's his name? Abu Sama. Abu Sama. Yeah. So, and look what he did against, even though it's not the Valley that, you know, we used to. I mean, still six touchdowns and over 300 rushing yards in a 5A state title game. Like, that's not the, I mean, that's that's pretty good. Um, that's yeah. pretty good. So, you know, and I, I think Iowa State also needs to look at the portal for, you know, some edge rushers. Um, you know, maybe maybe um, some secondary members as well, because those are probably, those are the two um, areas that are, you know, going to be hit hard to, going to be hit hard to, you know, to replace. I think linebacker, they're very deep in, so I think they'll be fine in line, in the linebacker core. But I think um, edge rushers and secondary could be two areas where they where, where they hit the portal as well, along with the quarterback. And I, I think they maybe go get a wide receiver in the portal too. Um, even though I think, I, even though I, I do, I do think, um, you know, Sean Shaw, Jalen Noel, they, they're, they, I think they're ready to take over as, you know, as, as number one options. But I, I do think a slack guy in the portal would not be the worst thing in the world. Does Sean Shaw still have another season? Uh, it, like, is, does he have a COVID year? I think he's got a, I think he's got a COVID year. He didn't partake in senior year, did he, Quinn? I don't remember hearing his name. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think he did, although I could be wrong on that. I don't remember hearing. I thought I thought he was a junior. I thought, and then he's got. I, I think he's got two years of eligibility. He's got a senior year, and then he's got really? a COVID year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, Iowa State the end of their season four and eight. They will not be bowling uh, this fall. So a lot of lot of I'd say probably a lot of uncomfortable conversations are going to be had. Uh, in Ames uh, on the football side of things, but flipping the script to make you know a lot more positive news in Ames, uh, Iowa State basketball. They went to the Phil Knight Invitational over in Portland over thanks the Thanksgiving holiday. They did really really well. They got themselves to the championship round, beat Villanova eighty one to seventy nine in overtime. Then they knocked off uh, then number one North Carolina seventy to sixty five before losing to UConn on Sunday night seventy one to fifty three uh, against a UConn team that could be really good. We not, might not want to write. Uh, the, we, we may not just want to award creating the Big East title yet because that UConn team could be pretty pretty good under Danny Hurley over in stores uh, here this winter. But, you know, Iowa State, you know, it, North Carolina was number one in ranking. I think there's a lot of controversy. A lot, there's a lot of discussion whether North Carolina is, in fact, and was, in fact, the number one team in terms of they deserve to be number one. They were number one on paper. Uh, they are still a really, really good basketball team, but it feels like they, they are – they packed their ups and downs early on this season. They went on to lose in, in was it four overtimes to Alabama? I think it was four overtimes. Yeah, four overtimes. Mm-hmm. I guess a really good Alabama team under Nate Oates. Uh, but still, it doesn't take away from the fact that was an excellent win for Iowa State to beat North Carolina. Villanova, I mean, it looked like a good win at the time, at the time but all of a sudden, you know, Villanova, they're struggling. They're two and five right now. Not looking like the Villanova that we're used to seeing. But I think that loss to UConn, I mean, I think that's a really, really good UConn basketball team they lost to on Sunday night, but I, I think, you know, a lot of the, some of the takeaways I had, obviously I think Jaron Holmes is the go-to guy for this team in terms of scoring. I think he's really solidified that, especially in this tournament. Uh, guys such as uh, Oshun Oshuni, uh, he is going to be a force down low. Him and Robert Jones can make a really, really intimidating tandem in the paint for the Cyclones, uh, whether it's the first unit on the floor or the second unit. And the third, kind of the third takeaway I had, man, how far has Caleb Grill come since his early days in Ames? He has come a long ways to become a contributor for this Iowa state team. Yeah. The, so the, the fun fact that my dad shared after that was that UNC has been, has the most losses to unranked teams as the number one team in the land at, at 22, that was their 22nd loss to an unranked team as the number one team in the country. 
but most in men's college basketball. So that tells you two things. One, North Carolina is number one a lot, but they also lose as number one a lot. Um, yeah, Iowa State played played their best game against North Carolina. Um, Caleb Grill looked like, I mean, from his from his first dinner names to now, it's it's mind boggling to see the growth that he's made. Not only as a shooter, but just as a complete all around player. Like every time he touched the ball, good things happened for Iowa State, and I think that's going to be really key to see to for Iowa State's uh, success. Um, I felt their transition game was also really good. Mm-hmm. And and I would say against I would say against UConn as well. I thought their transition game was was solid in spurts, um, and I think and I think there were times last year where it it kind of you know especially in Big Twelve play I didn't feel like their transition game was as good as it as it was during the non conference slate last year. So I think if they're if they can if if they can have you know if their transition game can get into can be much more consistent in conference play, I think that's going to serve this Iowa state team. Well, cause they've got guys that can, that can run up and down the floor. And I think more so this year than, than last. Um, so that's going to serve Iowa state really well. And also TJ is, was destined to be Iowa state's coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, how he was at the presser post-game presser after, after the UNC win. I mean, you can tell that this means the world to him. Like he he was destined to be Iowa State's head coach, and it's it's going to be. I mean, I I think that right there solidified that he's going to be in Ames for a long, long time, and will be getting this program to to national relevancy sooner rather than later. Well, yeah, I I figured that out about TJ Osberg. I I saw a video after they beat Iowa last year in Ames. I saw a video ago. That's a guy that's going to be in Ames for a long time. That's a guy that loves Iowa State University. And, uh, you know, he's got – I mean, the cyclone of families again. I mean, he married Allison Lacey. He spent most of his career as an assistant coach at Iowa State. Now he's the head guy. Yeah, I don't see TJ going anywhere. No. that Yeah, it's, it's a perfect marriage, I feel like. And, I mean, just the success that he's had in such a quick amount of time is honestly incredible. I mean, it's – the we never expected what happened last year, you know, where I believe, what was it? They won the first 12 games in a row. Um, yeah. Started out well, yeah, 12 or 13. yeah, 12 or 13, I think is what it was. Yeah. And I mean, right there, going from only winning two, two, two games the, the previous season, I mean, that's just an incredible turnaround right there. And then to go where they are now, beating the number one team in the nation, um, I think that we didn't give enough credit to what Iowa State's non-conference schedule is um, this season. I mean, and and part of it obviously is because you know winning games in this ter- in in this previous tournament you know makes you play better teams. But at the same time, I mean, they still have a good St. John's team coming to town um, on Sunday, and then they go to Carver Hawkeye Arena with you know, a solid Hawkeye team as well in this next week. I, I feel like, I mean, it, they're going to be battle tested and just their, their resume is already looking quite good for March already now. And, you know, I, I, I loved how you, how you talked about Caleb grill. Um, I mean, his, his game against North Carolina was incredible. 31 points. I mean, I, for a while there, I was like, is this guy going to miss? Um, and then, you know, follow up with UConn. He didn't have the best game, which I actually think played a role in kind of why, 
you know, the clones were down. And also it seemed like that game was refed a lot differently than the North Carolina game. Um, they weren't allowed to be as physical. And I think that when Iowa State is a lot, you know, when the refs let them be a little more physical is when they're going to have more success this year as well. Because, I mean, they're a team that emphasizes that that defense and physicality. And you, you might not get the scoring out of them every night, but, I mean, you're always going to get that defense. And uh, I think that's going to play a role, you know, how many free throws they give to the other team in um, – you know, in, in these, in these tighter games. Yeah. Iowa state, uh, you know, that game against UConn, I thought, excuse me. I thought UConn, you know, I just think they were just, I think, I think, you know, like you said, it was roughed a little differently, but I think UConn, they, I think they showed they were the tougher team and they, I mean, although that's kind of been a staple under for Danny Hurley teams. Uh, I go, I think back to his teams at Rhode Island, they were really, really tough teams. Uh, physically and mentally, and I think you that UConn team has taken that, taken that mantra and ran with it uh, with Danny Hurley as head coach. So I think I would say lost to a tougher team, and there's no shame because I would say it's re- still a really tough basketball team. But UConn, I mean that, that that's a really tough team, and you know getting another team I think that's going to be pretty similar to Saint to UConn at St. John's coming on Sunday uh, to Hilton Coliseum. Bob State wins that and wins that convincingly. We'll see. Cyhawk could be really really interesting. In that regard, if Iowa State it wins very convincingly against uh, St. John's coming into to, uh, Hilton Coliseum on Sunday, I, I know I'll, I'll definitely find some time to watch that one. That that's for certain uh, for for that game. Uh, with that, you'll know, bring up Cy Hawk. We'll use that to segue into Iowa. Iowa, they went one and one in the Emerald Coast Classic. Uh, they beat Clemson 74-71. They lost to a, a really good TCU team, really talented TCU team, seventy nine to sixty six. But the Hawkeyes followed that up with a win on Tuesday night. Over Georgia Tech, 81-65. And in a game against TCU where Iowa got killed on the glass. Iowa killed Georgia Tech on the glass uh, on uh, uh, on Tuesday night. And I was really, really impressed with Iowa's ability to, to, to use one game to turn around and really, you know, work on an area where they were deficient in, in a game before which, in which they lost. Uh, but I, I, I took away a lot of impressive things from that loss against Georgia Tech uh, on Tuesday night. And also, you know, the games against Clemson TCU. Uh, Clemson, I know Pat McCaffrey was a driving force, although Pat's been struggling a little bit. Peyton Sanford struggling shooting the ball right now. But I think we're, we've seen in the last couple of games uh, just how good Chris Murray is. Man, man, is he good. And he plays a little bit – he plays different than his brother. I think his brother – you know, I'm not saying Chris wasn't physical, but Chris was a little more adept to being finesse. Chris can scrap with the best of them, I mean, especially we saw that last night. I mean, 30, 30-20 game, you, you got to be a scrappy type of guy to be able to pull out, pull off a 30-20 game. Carter, what did you say last week about Chris Murray? Um, What did I say? You said Chris Murray is him. Oh, yeah. Got that he dog is. in him. He is yeah. him. He, I mean, he was on a 30-30 pace after the first half, or at the, after the first half. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. No. Um, and it, it was really good to see from, from Chris after he, because he struggled in Florida. I mean, let's, I mean, let's, he, let's just call a spade a spade. He was not, he was, he was not at his best in Florida. And, he was not um, him. No, he was not him in Florida. Um, but I, but I, you know, I, I think, the TCU loss for Iowa and the UConn loss for Iowa State are gonna are gonna do a lot more good than bad when we look at these when we look at these teams, you know, at the end of December, beginning of January. 
I think these two losses for both for both the in-state programs are going to be are going to be at, at the end of the day very, very good losses. Because I think TCU can can challenge with some of the best teams in the Big 12 for a Big 12 conference title. Um, because they're just they're just they're nasty defensively. They're gonna they're getting their all-conference ta- uh caliber player back uh for uh for their upcoming game. Um TCU's gonna be really good. So that's not a bad loss for Iowa. Um the emer- the the decision to put Aaron Eulis in the starting lineup last night, I think was a good one. Um that that um um that Fran McCaffrey did. Because I it, it gives it's gonna give Peyton Sanford, um, you know, like like you mentioned at the postgame presser, time to relax, time to just play basketball, shoot as best. Cause it because it did feel like he was kind of pressing a little bit in the starting lineup. So I I think Sanford coming off the bench will be a really good, you know, reset for him. And you know, if he if he performs well enough, maybe he can get back to the starting lineup. But I I think I think Aaron Eulis is going to you know, could could be like kind of that glue guy in the starting lineup if 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 it if it uh if that's how it's going to last for a while. I think Eulis can be can be that glue guy that can that can provide some stability in the backcourt and you know and you know be be a real threat scoring option for Iowa. I also was impressed with uh Connor McCaffrey's performance last night. I think a lot of people are giving a lot of credit to Chris's which obviously, I mean, incredible, 31 points, 20 rebounds. I mean, that's just an insane stat line. But Connor also had a double-double. He had 10 points and 10 rebounds. And I I think that uh, getting him more minutes is going to be important as well, Um, especially in the more physical games. Uh, He's not scared of that. And I I think that, you know, that's, that's something that, the Hawks are going to need to do to be successful is give them more minutes in some of those physical games. And I think that TCU loss, like, you know, it's not, it obviously it's not the end of the world. It's just a tournament, you know, one of those early season tournament games, but it does provide a little bit of concern for, you know, games against teams that are going to be physical. Um, just because that, that was kind of their first matchup against a really physical team. Uh, I guess, you know, Seton Hall was pretty physical, but I not near the physicality of TCU. And I think that's, you know, that provided a little bit of concern for myself for the upcoming matchup against Iowa State next week. And not to mention that Iowa's schedule just next week in general is not favorable to themselves at all. They played Duke at 8.30 on Tuesday night. And then they play Iowa State the following Thursday night. Um, and then they go on to play Wisconsin on Sunday. I mean, that's that's three really big games in a short period of time. And um, I, I, I think that's something to be a little bit concerned about there as well. But, yeah, it, I think the Cyhawk matchup is going to be really exciting. I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to see a packed Harbor Hawkeye arena for the game. And uh, I, I do like Iowa's chances since it is being played at Carver. Um, if, it were, if it were being played at Hilton, I think it would be a different story regardless of, you know, the level of talent on this Iowa team this year. That place is just a madhouse. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it, I, I'm, I'm interested to see if, how Iowa responds to Iowa State's physicality. As am I. As am I. <laughs> Yeah, I think I I think Iowa I think that TCU game was actually a really good thing for Iowa. 
they're preparing for Iowa State coming to Hilton or coming to uh, Carver Hawkeye in a, in a week or so. Uh, and obviously, I think Duke's going to be a really good challenge when it comes to that physicality standpoint as well. See how Iowa can square up with the Cyclones. Speaking of Cyhawk stuff, uh, coming up Sunday, Carter, you actually alluded to it earlier, so that's a good time to segue into it. Iowa State duel, wrestling duel, coming up on Sunday at Carver Hawkeye Arena. Of course, the Cyclones, they have not won in the series since 2004. They're looking to break what is uh, now a, I believe, 17-match losing streak against the Hawkeyes. Obviously, you know, Iowa's program has been able to, to maintain the status quo for, for a number of years. Iowa State's been, been through a lot of ups and downs, especially since Cale Sanderson left and is now at Penn State. But Kevin Dresser, he has built Iowa State into a very respectable program nationally. Uh, you know, we're ranked number seven coming into this match. Iowa second-ranked team in the country, obviously, behind Penn State. You know, I, I look at the, 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 the projected lineup. Cody Goodwin had it on Twitter from the Des Moines Register, the projected lineup. You know, I look at it. It doesn't look like Spencer Lee is in the lineup, but we'll, who knows? Well, I did, I, I've seen it before under Tom Brands where someone is not in the lineup, and then you know, all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, Brands, you know, they say, I'm going, and Brands goes, okay. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see if that's the case on Sunday with uh, with Spencer Lee, although Real Woods makes his first appearance in the lineup at 141. Uh, we'll see if he goes. That uh, would be against uh, Casey Swart, uh, Swart, uh, Swarderski, excuse me, for uh, Iowa State at 141 pounds. But uh, really, the heavyweights are going to be, the heavier weights are really going to be where the show is between the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes. Patrick Kennedy at 165 versus uh, David Carr, who was a national champion a couple years ago. Nelson Brands at 174 against Julian Broderson. 184, Abe Assad, who has really, really come a long way over the past couple of years. He's in the, in the top 10 in most of the, the rankings. He's in against a top five wrestler, a unanimous top five wrestler, Marcus Coleman at 184. Uh, what could be a revenge match at 197 between Jacob Warner and Younger Bastida. Bastida really put himself on the scene a year ago by upsetting Jacob Warner at Hilton Coliseum. We know Warner is going to be wanting revenge for that one, uh, so that might that might end up being the best match of the of the duel. And then obviously the heavyweights Tony Cassio, PCM Skyler. Obviously, I guess you could say famously, if you're an Iowa fan, infamously if you're an Iowa State fan, Cassiope allow uh, forced Skyler to stall stall himself out of the match. You get four stall calls and you're done. And it's funny because I had had a wrestling match. Or I think I had a wrestling match. I, I remember coming to coming to work the next day after that Cyhawk duel uh, last year in Ames. I told my boss about. It. She goes, "Oh yeah, you can." She she was she's a big wrestling fan. She goes, "Yeah, you can absolutely stall out in wrestling." I think the next duel I had for high school, we had somebody stall out. So it it was one of those you'd never seen happen before, and then it kept happening right after you. So there's a there's a phrase for that phenomenon. I can't remember what the phrase is called, but I, I just kept seeing it over and over again after after I saw it, saw it happen with that Tony Cassiope and Sam Skyler. But uh, really, the, the heavyweights are going to be where I think where the fireworks are on on, on uh, Sunday. Yeah, Quinn, and I, I'd like to just go off that a little bit. I think that. Where the meat starts weight-wise, so you know how it can either start at 125 or 165. Yeah. Um, I, I think that actually could play a role in, you know, maybe if you do see a Spencer Lee run out at 125. Uh, for example, if, you know, they start at the 165 and maybe Iowa does not fare as well as they might have hoped, that may give, you know, give them the extra, like, oomph to potentially go, I'm running out there because – I'm not giving Iowa State another six points because, to be frankly honest, 125 is very, very weak for Iowa right now. Um, Aiden Harris has 
0-4 and has essentially gotten tech fault every time. Um, and it wouldn't be ideal for Iowa to start, you know, to, to just lose six points right there. Um, it's unfortunate that, but also a good choice on their part to be redshirting Drake Ayala this year. Um, I was hoping to see Brody Teske in the lineup. Um, obviously, he is still hurt. He had a, a knee bursa, I believe. But I, I do still think that Schriever can compete at um, 133. And, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, I also think, you know, people are sleeping on Patrick Kennedy at 165. He has looked really good early in the season, and I don't think that he will beat Derek Carr. I mean, Derek Carr is incredible. But I do think that it's going to show us how good Patrick Kennedy is this year. And, you know, if he could maybe even make a push in the NCAA tournament later this year and, you know, maybe become an All-American, I think this is going to be a test for him. And I, I think this will be the closest Cyhawk duel we've seen in a long time. I know that I believe it was four years ago now that Iowa barely escaped with a win. It was either 1918 or 18 to 17. I forget. It was 1918. 1918. Yeah. Um, And it shouldn't have been like, it was, there were some upsets there and also again, some injuries that kind of played in Iowa state's favor, but this is the best Iowa state lineup that they have rolled into the Cyhawk series. And I think that the, the Hawks should be on upset alert. Um, it's good. I mean, it's going to be exciting. Carver Hawkeye arena is one of the most fun places to watch a wrestling meet when there's, you know, two good teams in town and it's going to be, there's going to be ups and downs on Sunday. And I, I seriously think this could go either way. So I look at this duel as if Iowa runs its a lineup and that's if Spencer Lee, Brody Teske and real woods all wrestle along with all the other along with all their other guys, I think Iowa wins. I do. But if they, if, if, if Lee Teske and Woods don't wrestle, I think the the margin is so much closer, but really, I think if you're Iowa state, I think you want to wrestle their a lineup. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen, but if, if, if Iowa state wants to prove that they are a top 10 team, which I think when you look at this, at, at this, at this Iowa state lineup, I think they are, they've proven it. I mean, when you go beat Wisconsin and in the fashion that they did, I mean, that was a, that was a statement win for Iowa state, but I think you, you want to beat Iowa's best. If you want to prove you are a top 10 team, there are two sneaky, there are two sneaky matches in this one and they're right back to back 141 and 149. If, if it's real woods versus um, Casey Swiderski Mm -hmm. and Casey Swiderski is, he is like David Carr like Carr was his freshman year. This is a match just like David Carr's redshirt freshman year in Cyhawk when it was David Carr versus Caleb Young. This is a proven All-American versus an up-and-coming freshman sensation. If 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 Swiderski is for real, which I believe he is, and I believe he was the best recruit in this previous class by Kevin Dresser, this could be a really, really interesting match. And I think 141 is going to be a wild ride in March at the NCAA championships. So I would not count out, you know, Iowa state flipping 141, even if whether it's woods or whether it's drew Bennett, I think Iowa state can win 141. Cause I, cause, cause I think Casey is that good of a wrestler. And then 149, 
can we not can, or have we forgotten that that um uh Johnson Pinero Johnson beat Austin Gomez who uh, who now looks like you know the best wrestler at 149 I mean let's let's not forget that let's not forget that Johnson did did that against in 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 Iowa State school against Wisconsin he can beat Max Murin um this is going to be a real good test for for both Max and um I'm blaming on I'll, I'll butcher his first name I think it's Pinero right is it Pinero yeah, that's, Pinero, what, it I I mean, that's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So it, it's going to be a good challenge with, for those two, just to see where they stack up amongst 149 and where they stack up seeding-wise. And Because this will be a real good – because this will probably determine seedings for March as well when you look at the head-to-head. Mm-hmm. So I think 141 and 149 are really sneaky good matchups when you look at this duel. And then I think 65 is obviously going, I think 65 and 97 are the headliners. I think 84 can be a headliner because that's, a, you know, that's Marcus Coleman, a returning All-American against Abe Asad, who I think most people believe can be an All-American. Um, and 74 will be, will be interesting because, you know, Brands and, Brands and Broderson are two in-state guys um, that had a lot of success at the high school level um, that were very good as red shirts, you know, during their, you know, during their red shirt year. Um, so this, so it, it will be, it will be really fun for that one. I would probably lean, I was, I would probably lean Brands' way um, just because I think he's more technically sound than Broderson. Um, but this, this has the making of, of a, of, you know, a, one of the more fun Cyhawk duels, um, in you know, in you know, within recent memory. That's if Iowa doesn't bring out the eighth lineup. Because I, I, I think if I think if, if Lee comes out, if Teske comes out, because Brands wasn't on the prob- on the uh, projected starters last week against Penn, and he came out and wrestled at one seventy four. So like, I'm not. I, so I'm. I'm taking those. I'm taking those probables with a grain of salt with Tom Brands because I I do think there is a chance that Teske and Lee do wrestle on Sunday. I'd say at the very least, I think we get two out of the three. Uh, two out of those three at the very least. I'd be shocked. Yeah. I'd be shocked if it were one out of three. If it were oh, if it was zero for three, I think I'd be less shocked at that if it was just one. But I think we get at least two out of the three, if not all three. Yeah. I think so too. Because well, and- yeah, go ahead. Yeah, there might be, you know, I I don't know how many how much the the Iowa State, you know, Iowa State is you know, Iowa State fans or Iowa fans brought into the big brother, little brother aspect. I think in wrestling it doesn't matter. I, I think those are two even programs. Uh, but I, it, this rivalry is even on the wrestling, on the wrestling mat when it comes to Iowa State still views Iowa as you know, they're a chief rival. And Iowa, even you know, they've won 17 in a row. Iowa doesn't take Iowa State lightly. They they still want to go beat Iowa State. And that's a part of the reason why I think uh, I, I could really see all, all three of those guys, Teske, Lee, and Woods all wrestling against Iowa State. Because I, I think, you know, it's just kind of the culture that's ingrained by the brands is we want to beat and we want to dominate Iowa State. So, you know, it, it's not one of those like football, like pe- like the fans perceive it to be in football, like, oh, well, it's just Iowa State or, oh, it's just Iowa. No, it's not like that in wrestling. You want to you wanna have your A game when, when Iowa and Iowa State go at it. In wrestling. Yeah. And and not to mention there is absolutely no love lost between, you know, brands and dresser. Oh, no. they, they do not like each other. Um the I don't set, think it's as off. bad as brands and the and Doug Schwab up at you and I, but you know, there's you know, they're they're they are civil with each other when you know when they're on the mat, and that's about the best of it. Yeah, it, I mean, and 
I, I'm quoting, you know, Tom Brands on this, but I mean, this is pay-per-view television right here. This is going to be a battle and it's, it's going to be, I mean, it, it's going to be great wrestling and it's just incredible that we get this in the state of Iowa. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll, we'll use that. I guess we'll, we'll this will be our final topic. Uh, we'll, we'll segue into here. Uh, well, we'll keep it on wrestling, but I know I know Zach's been itching to talk about it. And I've started to want to talk about it as well, Carter. We'll, we'll you know we'll see we'll see how you feel about it. But we're obviously going to get into high school wrestling here. Obviously, the high school wrestling season, the boys' season kicked off on Monday. Uh, I was supposed to go cover Roland Story's triangular with Monterey Ferrar and Gilbert on Thursday, but because of weather we had in the area on Tuesday. Uh, I, I'm going to cover basketball on Tuesday, but I will be down at the uh, DCG Mustang Invitational down in Grimes on Saturday. Uh, Webster City will be wrestling down there. That's a Webster City team that will be a contender in Class 2A this year with a lot of guys that, you know, I think there's some guys in Webster City that are going to surprise a lot of people this uh, this winter. Uh, but, Zach, I know uh, we'll, we'll start off with the class that we know best, and that's Class 2A. Uh in wrestling, and really, I mean, at least on paper, when you look at the preseason right now, it's Osage in the field. Yes, it is, and I think you know, and and I did my boys wrestling preview on Osage, and and talk and talking with Brent Jennings. I mean, he he said that this is as loaded as of a of an Osage room that he's had during his tenure. Um, and it's and it's without a doubt accurate. I mean, when you look at returning state champion and Nick Fox, he'll be up at one seventy this year. Um, fully because he was at 170 for a good stretch last year, won the top of Iowa conference title at 170 and then went back down to 164 um, um, for sectionals, districts, and state. Um, he's the defending state champion. He'll be the favorite at 170, I think. Barrett Muller, defending champion at 220. Um, he'll be the favorite, even though Jackson Cherry from Webster City and others will will be in contention. Gavin Bridgewater the, from South Tama, who Muller faced, faced in the state title, match he'll be back as well so 220 will will look a lot like the same um so uh but barrett will be the favorite and then when you look at the rest of the lineup i mean there's there's five to six potential champions in that osage room when you look at tucker stangle at 145 chase thomas at uh 152 anders kittleson at 132 mac muller at 285 he can go on a he can go on a run kind of like his cousin barrett did um and then blake fox at 120 um, and I think his biggest competition is going to be Carson Doolittle of Webster City. Um, so I, I and there'll be others as well. Um, but Blake Fox will be in contention as well. So I, I think it's I think it's Osage by far. But there's going to be a lot of contenders. I mean, West Delaware, West Burlington, Notre Dame, the the defending to a uh, traditional state tournament champs. Um, Webster City will will score some points because they've got dudes that can go that that far into a tournament just yep. like they did last year. Um, um, I think um, what's another problem? I think uh, what's um, well, I think Roland Story can maybe score some points. Now it's all depend on what happens with um, Kate Bloom and this legal situation going on. Yep. Um, but they can score points. Um, but really, two A is Osage in the field. And that's how it is right now, and I think that's um, that's the expectation, you know, going in. Now it's now they're just going to have to prove it. Can they're going to have to prove that they are the unquestioned favorite because, you know, two A is still very very good. Go say just a clear is a clear front runner right now. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and you know, I, I talked with you about it. I, I can't remember, you know, I haven't followed wrestling all that long. I will uh, begin with that disclaimer. But, you know, it, it's just not very often you see a team return an entire varsity lineup from a team that was in contention from a state title the year before. You just, I mean. Half, you, half a point away. I mean, yeah, they scored 108.5 points that in most years would win you a Class 2A traditional state championship. Yeah. And that just speak that speaks to how loaded class two. I might say class two A might be the toughest class in the state I mean, compared to three A, at least in terms of overall depth, because there are so many quality teams. I mean, I'm looking at the, uh, the tournament rankings from IA Wrestle right now. You mean you got Osage, West Delaware, Notre Dame, Burl- uh, Notre Dame, West Burlington, Sergeant Bluff, Glenwood, Webster City, Union Laporte City, Green County. I mean, Independence. I mean, Independence is normally one of the stronger teams in two A, and they're you know they're they're down at like eleven. In West Liberty's at 12, and that's another really good program down at West Liberty. You know, this is, you know, two ways just top to bottom is one stacked class this year. I mean, there's so much talent in two-way this year. It, it is really going to be an exciting year. And I can say, you know, in my area, uh, here in the KQ radio area, Webster City, obviously, you know, you've got Carson Doolittle, who as of right now is the new number one at 120 pounds, obviously with Kate Bloom's legal situation that you, that you alluded to, Zach. Uh, CJ Hissler is number two at 195 pounds, uh, which is a, a really, uh, which is a really good spot for him. I mean, he had he had to face off with Wyatt Volker of West of uh, West Delaware last year in the semifinals. Doesn't have him, but he has CJ Carter of uh, Glenwood. That's ranked number one. I think that's a much more evenly matched uh, one versus two if that does happen in, in February down at the well. Uh, I'm trying to think, Jackson Cherry. You know, you mentioned him at 220 pounds. He might be the most athletic guy at 220 pounds. Uh, in that weight class, uh, we'll see if that works to his advantage. Because I mean, last year, you know, talking with the uh, with a Chad Hissler, head coach for Webster City, he was he wasn't even wrestling at two twenty. He was wrestling at about two ten, two fifteen. He was about five pounds under that two twenty threshold. So if you can get him up to almost a true two hundred twenty pounds, I'm really really interested to see what what Jackson Cherry can do at two hundred twenty pounds. And then Austin Mason ranked number twelve at one fifty two. But there's one guy that didn't make the rankings in class two A from Webster City that. Watch out because his brother just graduated. And from everything I've been told, the little brother's just as good, if not better. Can't bet some. Well, that's because that's that's because I I wrestle doesn't rank freshmen right now. Nope. They'll rank freshmen later. They'll rank freshmen later, but watch out, folks. There's another Fets and Fom, and he's coming. He 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 might find a way to take the 106 title in in two way. At very least, he will be a state qualifier. And from everything I have heard, I've heard rave reviews about him. So I agree. that could be that that could be a big push for Webster City, maybe get into that that bronze or that silver spot in the team rankings in class two. I you know, I, I'm really excited about that. And Carter, I don't know if you got anything to add wrestling wise. What what do you, you got anything to add in, 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 in your wrestling for high school or this is more of the Zach, me and Zach show? <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys got this covered. I have literally nothing to add. I yeah, I, I just we, like we, watching wrestling. Zach, we 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 found the one sport Van Meter doesn't excel at. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, last year was the first year they had their own program. Yep, because they were so, sharing with Earlham forever. Yeah, they were sharing with Earlham for a while, so that last year was the first year they had their own program. Um, yeah. And then Class 3A, I'm not as well-versed at Class 3 but I do know who the top dogs Waverly. are in 3A, and that is Waverly Shell Rock and Southeast Polk. It's been that way for Walkie, a long time. Walkie Northwest, Walkie Northwest will also return a lot. I mean, they've got Carter Freeman, um, Koufax Christensen. So I, the top three, I think, are Waverly Shell Rock, Southeast Polk, and um, and Walkie Northwest. 
and there's a good field. Ford Dodge, I think, will be really good. Bettendorf should be should be really good as well. Um, but it's Waverly, Southeast Polk, and Joaquin Northwest, I think. And uh, and also Iowa City High. I mean, Ben Keeter's ben going Keeter, to yep. Ben Keeter's going for you know un, unbeaten four time state champ, and then Gabe Arnold, who moved in, who's who's an Iowa recruit, um, and who'll also be in there. Lindmar will also be good, led led by uh, led by Tate and and his younger brother. Um, cause I'm not even going to try pronouncing the last name because I never will, I never can get it correctly. Um, but Linmar will also be good. So there, you know, three A is going to be three A is going to be very good. But you know, when we look at the top and when we get determined, it'll be Waverly, Southeast Polk and Joaquin Northwest, I think will be the top three. And then in one A, it'll be Don Bosco, Don, Don and, Bosco. you know, and Don Bosco in the field. So yeah, just because it's always Don Bosco in the field, I think West Sioux will be good again. You know, you one A will Maybe be talking about traditional. Lisbon. And Lisbon, Lisbon will also be good. One A, one A, you'll see the you'll see the traditional powers that'll yeah. that'll stay at the top. Yeah, because I mean, you talk about Waverly Shell Rock. They obviously they're obviously kind of highlighted by a D one wrestling recruit and McCray Haggerty, who's going to Iowa State after this year. Uh, he's definitely good. He definitely looks to be that bell cow for Waverly Shell Rock. After you know, a lot of people picked Waverly to win it last year, and they felt they wound up falling short uh, last year. I think was it yeah. Southeast Polk that won it last year? Yeah, it was Southeast Polk. Yep. And I think Waverly it was a heavyweight. Third, as a matter of fact, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. No, they got second. No, Waverly got second. Then Waverly it was, got second. Uh, I thought they finished third. Yeah. Uh, then I think the margin between second and third was very close, if I remember. Correctly. Yes, it was. It was. But was yeah, three, three, third? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three A wrestling is is in really good hands, and so is one A wrestling in the state is in, is in really good hands with the three classifications. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a fun winter. Uh, no no doubt about that. I am really excited for uh, wrestling this winter because it's gonna be fun. Like I said, I'm gonna get a gonna get quite a, get, get quite a good gauge where this Webster City team is on Saturday when they go down to the DCG invite when they wrestle a lot of the Central Iowa teams. And dare I say, DCG might be uh, Webster City might be the best overall team that will be wrestling at that DCG invite. I have to go back and look at the teams there. There, there are two A and three A schools there, but none of them really jumped off the page at me as. Oh, these guys will give Webster City a challenge. There, there wasn't that, but I'll have to go back and look. Obviously, there's some, you know, there's programs. ADM will be there. They've got a good program. Uh, I know Anki Centennial sending guys over there uh, for that. Uh, Marshalltown, Urbandale, you know, big schools like that. But uh, no, nothing that really jumped off the page at me. So I'm really excited to see uh, what Webster City is going to do in that regard. But with that, we'll use that to uh, wrap things up on this episode 16 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast. Of course, uh, we'll be this will be dropping this on Thursday. We record usually Tuesday once we're recording this on a Wednesday. So, if you like, if you guys like the content, as always, make sure you follow us on Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. At follow us on Twitter at Eyes on Iowa Pod or on Facebook as well. Uh, and that's going to do it for episode six, episode sixteen, or episode 17. seventeen. Did I say sixteen or seventeen? Help me out. Seventeen. 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 For episode 17 of the Eyes on Iowa podcast for Carter Coppinger, Zach Martin, Quinn Douglas, signing off. Have a great rest of your week. Talk to you again.